L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the Brooklyn Bunker. Folks, you know, over the weekend, I did a a couple of MSNBC shows, and, you know, I want to talk about one of my appearances, which was on Eamon Mohadeen's Saturday Night Show, uh, where I joined uh, with my friend and friend of the show, Joyce um, White Vance, to discuss a, a myriad of topics. But one in particular, has really gotten under my skin. And it is this. Um, Last week, the bombshell, well, one of the many bombshells that happened last week was with regard to Kevin McCarthy. And Kevin McCarthy, who we know is one of the slimiest uh, Republicans. Why? Because he's a punk. Uh, Kevin McCarthy will talk shit about Donald Trump, right, uh, out of one side of his mouth. Then he'll fly down to Mar-a-Lago, go and kiss Donald Trump's ring because he realizes that he can't get anywhere. He's not going to get the speakership should Republicans take back the House uh, in November. So Kevin McCarthy is caught on these tapes basically saying that Donald Trump bears responsibility for the insurrection, that the Republican Party bears uh, responsibility for the insurrection, and that things need to change and things need to happen, right? The comments have been played. When, um, before the leak actually happened, Kevin McCarthy was asked about this conversation that was supposed to be a closed conversation with House Republicans, and guess what? It was recorded, so you can't even trust your own people, right? Because everybody is trying to blackmail somebody else in order to get ahead, because that's how the fuck the Republican Party has been operating under Donald Trump. Nonetheless, two reporters from the New York Times discover these tapes, and instead of, instead of releasing them, they decided to hold on to pertinent information so that they could then later turn around and fucking sell a book. Now, you, if you've been listening to Woke AF, you all have heard me 
when Bob Woodward did the same fucking thing with the information that he had Donald Trump on tape talking about COVID-19 back in December of 2019 when he found out information about COVID and said on tape, COVID is more dangerous than the flu. It is airborne. It is like nothing we have ever seen. Then Donald Trump, after saying this to Bob Woodward in December of 2019, would turn around when COVID finally arrived in the United States to then tell us that it was a democratic hoax. Bob Woodward, at that moment that Donald Trump said for the first time that COVID-19 was a hoax, could have released those tapes to the New York Times, to the Washington Post, to wherever, and say, Donald Trump is lying. I am currently working on my book, which I'm sure would have flown off shelves regardless But you wanted to hold on to that information so that you could fucking make money. We saw Bill Barr do the same fucking shit. So these reporters, right, with the New York Times, they get their hands on the McCarthy tapes and turn around and say, oh, no, we're going to hold it because, you know, capitalism. Eamon asked me on the show this weekend, this past weekend, Danielle, does, does media have an ethics problem? Is it unethical that when you have information that could literally change the course of history, that you hold on to that for your own personal gain? And I said in my response that here's the thing, at some point in time, our democracy, your country has to be more important than anything else. And that includes making a buck because at the end of the day, when democracy falls, right? And all agencies fall and you had the opportunity to do something about it. And you don't, do you think that the amount of money that you made on that book is going to somehow save you from fascism? Do we think that somehow that little bit of money, right? Is going to be able to withstand the long haul push to full-blown Putinism in the United States. I don't fucking think so. And I'm really, really tired of journalists, right? The fourth estate, which is what we call the media, the fourth estate, the ability and the supposed ethics around educating the public. This is the whole point, folks, why I made a switch in my career into media, right? Working at the intersection of media and policy, but then full-blown into media. Why was that? Because I believe that people on air Telling the truth is what changes hearts and minds. It is what wakes people up. It is what shifts you. I don't believe in neutrality, not in the face of absolute authoritarianism and dictators behavior that we are seeing out of fucking Florida with DeSantis and him taking on Disney, a private company. Anybody that goes against DeSantis is now a fucking target. We think that that's how people should function in a democracy, that a private company is not able to decide that they believe that legislation that is going out, that is targeting LGBTQ youth, that is targeting LGBTQ people, that they shouldn't have the opportunity to speak up this company that brings in multi-billion dollars to this state. And now he wants to turn around and make, uh, and make an example of them. This is who the Republican party is. And if you have information that can stop them from steamrolling the country into fascism and you don't do something about that, how do you turn around and call yourself a journalist, right? 
Because here's the thing, folks. Let me be honest with you. I do not refer to myself as a journalist. I did not go to school for journalism. I went to school for politics and got a master's in education, right? Like those are my degrees. I am an opinionator, right? That is my job. But for those that are journalists, for those that do the research and the reporting and all of these things, I'm like, so if your job is to educate the people and you decide that you would rather make money, why should we be listening to you? If your job is to educate the people, but you want to keep pretending that this Republican party is somehow an ideological party that cares about patriotism and democracy, and you know that to be untrue, and you keep handling this party that is clearly a cult with fucking kid gloves, then what are you doing? Right? This is why I scream most days because I sit and I have to ingest more news than anyone should probably have to take in. And I look at these people and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? I appreciate folks, real journalists like Eamon Mohadeen, who use their platforms to call out bullshit. People like Rachel Maddow that use their platforms to really give people a deep dive into what is going on so that they have grounded understanding in facts, right? You can't make decisions if you don't have all the information. And what these journalists did was hold on to this information about Kevin McCarthy and his belief about who was responsible for the insurrection and that Donald Trump told him himself that he was responsible and needed to do something and then turns around literally like a fucking flip-flop, like a fucking pancake, heads down to Mar-a-Lago to go and kiss Donald Trump's ring like he never had that conversation at all. And you know what my friend Joyce Vance said following uh, my comment is that she believes that whoever recorded the conversation bears responsibility as well. Because here's the thing, everybody was on that call. All the Republicans were on that call. Somebody recorded it, right? So why didn't they do anything with it? Why didn't they decide again that the country is more important than the bullshit manure that this party is shoveling all over the United States? I'm just so sick and tired of the spinelessness, right? Uh, you know, David Jolly, who was on the show said as well, I'm sick and tired of these fucking anonymous op-eds. I'm sick and tired of people not having any conviction. You know, one of the people that we also talked about over the weekend and if you have not seen the viral video of Mallory McCar- uh, McMorrow, the state senator out of Michigan, who took on her Repub- one of her uh, Republican quote unquote colleagues, who made an entire fundraising email referring to this mother, right? This white mother um, as a fucking pedophile and groomer. And instead of doing what Democrats are so fucking good at, which is sticking their goddamn heads in the sand and pretending that this bully, the Republican party isn't beating the shit out of them, right. As it pertains to how we are defending ourselves against this very clear and evident culture war that they are determined to beat America over the head with. She didn't turn her back. She didn't run away. She didn't come up with facts and figures. She didn't sit down with the focus group. She got in front of the microphone and she told the people of Michigan what this Republican party is doing and who the fuck they are. And then she reminded them who she is, which is a straight white woman who is Christian, who is a mother, who is married and who believes 
right? That people do not need to be white, Christian, straight, and cis in order to be treated with respect and dignity in this country. I mean, it was beautiful. And what I love so much about it and what Eamon asked me, you know, should this be the blueprint? And I said, authenticity should be the fucking blueprint for the Democratic Party. Authenticity and passion should be the blueprint for the Democratic Party. I don't need everybody copycatting what Mallory McMorrow did in Michigan, but I need people to start fucking standing up for themselves and for this goddamn country. And don't come to me, don't come to a fucking gun battle with a fucking uh, whiteboard filled with your bullet points of bullshit. I'm just, I'm tired, folks. I'm tired of what the Democratic Party isn't doing, which is going toe to toe with a group of people who have no problem referring to us all as pedophiles and fucking groomers. This shit is not going away. It's actually escalating and getting worse. And what McMorrow did in Michigan is say enough is a fuck enough, right? You're not going to sit here and smear me and make money off of your evil, vile fucking statements and think that ain't nobody going to come back at you with some real hot shit. That's what she did. And I'm wondering where the hell else all the other Democrats are particularly those that are in leadership, right? Where are you? Oh, it's really upsetting that my friend across the aisle, fuck that. You need to dead that language, your friend across the aisle. These people have turned the Democratic Party into their enemy. You listen to that lion ass Marjorie Taylor Greene when she was on the stand wanted to say 80 times that apparently she needs Ginkoba because she doesn't, she done lost her fucking memory over what she has said on fucking video about Nancy Pelosi, about the Democrats, about the steal that happened to Donald Trump. And now all of a sudden, 80 times she talking about, she don't remember. Oh, you remember. Let me run you the tape back and ask you the question again, right? Is this you? Is this worse coming out of you? Were you coerced? Right. And again, I, I want to say this too about the attorneys that had her on the stand. It's that I, I don't know because this, that hearing was unprecedented, right? It is unprecedented to try and say that this member of Congress should not be able to run for reelection again because they have gone against the constitution because of their involvement in an attempt to overthrow the government, right? Um, but I got to tell you that if you were able to bring evidence, I'm confused about why you would not show video over and over again of the questions that you were ask asking and her saying, I don't recall. And then you playing the video and saying, do you remember now? Right? Do you recall now? Because I need to make sure that like, we don't need to have somebody's like psychiatrist or psychologist come in and do a medical examination to make sure that you are functioning on all cylinders. I'm just, you know, folks, I, I, I got to tell you that this weekend going on MSNBC, I was really fucking pissed off because I feel like everything around us is crumbling. 
And I feel like the people that have the ability, and I'm not saying that it isn't inevitable what is going to happen, but at least I want to believe that I'm a part of a party that is willing to fight, that is willing to lay it all on the field. And that's just not who the Democrats are. And so I'm like, if you're not willing to fight against people who are referring to you as pedophiles, who are literally labeling every single person that is just like your anti-fucking LGBTQ bills, right? Are nothing but bigoted bullshit and not calling people out for their belief that we're going to dismantle essentially public education because of this faux a belief in critical race theory. And then we're going to only in Florida bring in one kind of textbook that happens to have financial ties to both DeSantis and the governor in Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. And we think that all is on the up and up. I mean, folks, let us wake up here, right? This is a, it's not even just the biggest fucking criminal grift that we've ever seen that began with Donald Trump and his family, but has expanded to the entirety of the Republican party. But it is now, it is coupled with their white evangelical Christian fundamentalism, right? And their white supremacy. And so if you're not willing to say what it is that they are doing and to identify who the villain is, then tell me what your purpose is in this moment. You know, James Carville, who I don't understand why Democrats continue to go back to this man for advice, who is clearly not engaged or tapped into the current state of what is going on, where he's talking about the fact that Democrats have gotten too woke. Are you fucking kidding me? It's still the same centrist fucking pasty people who are running things and who don't want to move too far into progressivism right? It's still the same fucking mansion and cinema mentality that is running the democratic party into the fucking ground. Why do we think that Biden's poll numbers are where they are? It isn't just because of inflation. It's because he ain't got no swagger. He doesn't have any fucking backbone. He's not going toe to toe and pushing back against this Republican party and saying to the American people, this is who they are. And if it's not going to be Joe Biden, then tell me why you haven't tapped in Kamala Harris, who was a prosecutor to be prosecuting, as she said, when she was candidate Harris, prosecuting the case against Donald Trump. How about you prosecute the case against the white evangelical Christian fundamentalist white supremacist party. How about you go to the American people on a regular basis and remind them who they are and that they would rather be cheering on Putin right now as he's committing war crimes in Ukraine than they would their own president. How about you make the correlation and put in the work instead of wondering or worrying about what the pushback is going to be. They are calling you pedophiles. They are willing to go to the fucking gutter. So what are you willing to do? You know, and the last thing that I will say um, for, for, for this Monday, where I am starting out the week already fired the fuck up, is we have already provided $3.4 billion to Ukraine. Now, I want to be very clear that the images, the videos, the stories that we are reading are absolutely heartbreaking. Ukraine needs resources. 
right? But the things that they actually need, like a no-fly zone, we're not willing to go to that extent, which I still believe is kicking the can down the road because I don't know how we are going to avoid American casualties in this war by sending troops there. Because here's the thing, Putin is not stopping, right? He is actually escalating. When he hired right? His new head, his new general, a man who made a name for himself as the butcher of Syria because he targeted civilians on purpose, that he is suffocating people to death, that he is weaponizing rape, right? Um, that he is using chemical weaponry that has been banned for use in war. How is it that we think that we are going to escape this without Putin being put down, right? So that's one thing. But here's the other thing. I was on Reverend Al's show yesterday and Reverend Al asked me on Politics Nation whether or not the Biden administration is doing a good job with balancing the resources, financial resources that are needed for our domestic issues and balancing that with what is happening abroad. And I'm going to be honest with you. No, they are not. They are not balancing these things. And the reason is that Republicans and Democrats are more willing to shell out and make it fucking rain for war in terms of the money that they are able to put up without a fight, without a conversation, without a debate. But if you turned around and wanted to give $3.4 billion to COVID relief, to education, to the Green New Deal, to infrastructure, then we got to have, what, three fucking days of debate on that shit. It's our fucking money, but we don't get it spent on us. But then you want to turn around and tell me, well, we're on the verge of nuclear war. Okay, I get that. We're on the verge of fucking devastation here in the United States as well. So if you are not able to be able to match the resources that you are sending to Ukraine and then want to turn around and tell us that you don't have the money in order to continue COVID relief plans, right? In order to continue providing vaccinations, in order to to continue uh, providing tests, that you all of a sudden don't have the money, that doesn't really land that well, does it? Oh, we can't afford to relieve student debt, but we're going to send $3.4 billion to Ukraine in two months and then say that we need to send more? Come on, folks. Come on. This country is struggling. And to quote Tupac Shakur, who said, got money for war, but can't feed the poor. That is, that is the mantra of the United States. Love a war, love a war. And wars are expensive, not only in the cost of lives, but in the cost period. But investing in social safety nets, investing in education, investing in clean water, clean air programs, investing in trying to slow climate change. Oh, that we can't possibly manage to do. Get the fuck out of here. Folks, you know, I I, got to tell you also, I'm asked about whether or not Biden, you know, who recently had lunch with Obama last week and said that he plans on running in 2024. And then we heard murmurings of, uh, of Bernie Sanders saying that, you know, he's not, he's not taking running again off the table. And I'm saying, my God, if fucking octogenarian white men are all that we have and all that we believe that can save America, then America doesn't deserve to be saved. Now, if Joe Biden decides to run 
for re-election. That is his prerogative, and he is the head of the Democratic Party. But if he doesn't decide to run for re-election for whatever reason, then I don't want to see the same old fucking faces carted out as if they got new ideas. They don't. So if the Democratic Party isn't building a bench, isn't fighting against the culture war, right, and isn't giving the American people what they want, then the question is, what the fuck are they doing? Coming up next, friends, my conversation, as always, with our good friend, Glenn Kirshner, MSNBC legal analyst and the host of Justice Matters, breaks down the latest of where we are with the Department of Justice, the insurrection, and the 1-6 House Commission. Folks, you know that I am always, always grateful when we have our friend Glenn Kirshner joining us, host of Justice Matters and MSNBC legal analyst to, you know, bring us through the maze of insanity that is uh, the current state of the insurrection, the investigations and the Department of Justice. Um, Glenn, another week, another series of things that have been uncovered. Right. Uh, I saw on Twitter when you said referred to Mark Meadows phone as some type of treasonous hotline. Right. Um, Amazing. Tell us the latest on 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 where we are and what, if anything, any movement you've heard with the Department of Justice. Yeah. When you look at the text messages that Mark Meadows was fielding as let's remember the chief of staff to the president of the United States. You know, it's like he's running the treason switchboard. You know, Mark Meadows here. How can I direct your treasonous call? And, and the calls and or the, the, the texts that he was getting from Don Trump Jr., which still blows my law enforcement mind when Don Jr. says two days after the election, long before the election has been called, before the votes had been tallied in the battleground states, Don Jr. said, my daddy's second term must start now. now. That is so deeply treasonous in the lay sense of the word treason that it it really blows my mind. And that Mark Meadows is indulging all of this and playing along together with Ginny Thomas saying, listen, you have to go to war. You have to overturn the election's results because there are ballot fraudsters being detained right now on barges outside Gitmo awaiting their military tribunals for sedition. Mark Meadows doesn't say, Miss Thomas, that's wrong. That's fiction. That's insane. He plays along and says, you're right. We have to fight and the King of Kings will make this right for us. Uh, So Mark Meadows has earned himself really a, a marquee spot on a conspiracy indictment for crimes against the United States. There's no doubt about it on the evidence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Will the Department of Justice get there? That remains an open question. But, you know, these these treasonous text messages that Mark Meadows was receiving and feeding into, it's just, it's so far beyond fiction that, you know, it's hard to know what to make of it. It's so absurd, Glenn, because... The evidence being laid out, I mean, it's not as if we are, we're, we're trying to still find the smoking gun, right? 
There are pages of text messages. We have a PowerPoint presentation. We have people in their own word. We have Donald Trump standing on the dais at the Stop the Steal rally saying, go take your country back. We have, you know, convicted insurrectionists in their own words saying the only reason why I stormed the Capitol building is because the president of the United States told me that I needed to. So you have said for years now on this show that prosecutors don't like to move unless they know that something is a slam dunk. Glenn, if this isn't a slam dunk, tell me what is. Tell this me, is tell a- me, tell me where the hesitation still lies. I, I can't explain it. It's it's you can't explain the inexplicable. This is a slam dunk. And it doesn't mean 12 jurors in a jury box will agree unanimously. But the point is, when you have enough evidence to indict and here we have enough evidence to arrest, to indict, to withstand motions, to dismiss and to convict. When you have that kind of evidence, you have to indict. You have to stand in the well of the court and present the case to 12 citizens in a jury box and let them, sitting as the conscience of the community, decide if they should hold a criminal president accountable. I can't explain the inaction. You know, I'm still hoping we're going to get there. I'm hoping the public hearings leave DOJ no safe haven to decline to indict. I hope they have to indict after that. Um... You know, some days I'm optimistic, some days I'm less optimistic, but I can't explain the inexplicable. You know, and and particularly, I I really want to sit with Ginny Thomas for a minute because we have major, major Supreme Court decisions that are coming down that we are awaiting in June from gun rights to abortion, right? We have a potentially compromised Supreme Court justice that whether he was actively a part of the insurrection, actively a part of covering up for his wife so as not to release Donald Trump's records so that we don't recognize a number that is there. I, if this doesn't happen, if, if we don't even pretend to be concerned about Clarence Thomas, pretend to be concerned about the state of our Supreme Court, the integrity that is supposed to be this Supreme Court, then what do we look like a year from now, two years from now, Glenn? If this is, if this, if these aren't a series of indictable offenses, then like, can we indict anybody ever? Here's what we look like. If the Department of Justice declines to hold Trump and all of his co-conspirators accountable. The 2024 presidential election will be the kind of show election that they hold in Russia, where the outcome is, you know, determined long before the first vote is cast and Putin has already won before voting day has arrived. That is what the 2024 presidential election will look like. I promise you, if DOJ does not prosecute this criminal cabal, because they will have been given permission by the Department of Justice to cheat, to steal, to lie, and to declare themselves the victors, regardless of the popular vote or the electoral college count. That's what 2024 will look like. 
play devil's advocate, which I always hate to do, but I honestly, because I'm really trying to get into the minds of the people at the Department of Justice, obviously, particularly Merrick Garland. What happens if they bring this case, Glenn? We've seen all the evidence. We've seen everything, right? And they lose. What, like, what, tell us what, what, what could potentially be the repercussions, again, that make them so fearful that they don't want to even bring an indictment, that make them so fearful that if this, is, if this isn't a slam dunk, what does this do to the state of the Department of Justice, to our government, to the presidency? So first of all, I don't believe they will lose, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, because they didn't lose the Paul Manafort trial, even with a self-proclaimed MAGA on the jury. She called herself a MAGA. She wore her red hat to the trial every day, but left it in her car. And when she was interviewed after the Manafort conviction, she said, I am a Donald Trump fan, and I did not want to vote guilty for Paul Manafort, one of Trump's men, but the evidence proved it. So first, and she voted guilty. First of all, we're not going to lose. At worst, we suffer a hung jury and we have to retry it. I don't believe that. I believe we can impanel a fair jury, just like we could in Manafort, just like we have been in the insurrection cases, and they've been held, they've been found guilty, jury after jury after jury. So, but if we do lose, here is the message that has been sent. Mm -hmm. If you commit crimes against the United States and you're a high government official, you're going to be indicted, you're going to be tried, and we're going to pull out all the stops in our efforts to hold you accountable, to convict you. And you're going to spend every last penny you have on lawyers. Not that that's a reason to bring a charge, mm -hmm. but it is a consequence of bringing this kind of a prosecution. And you will be in court for the next two years, and we will be trying to convict you and imprison you. But you know what? If a jury doesn't see it our way, if 12 citizens say mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. guilty, which will not happen, I'll bet a buck on it. But if they do, it doesn't matter because the rule of law has asserted itself. The Department of Justice has done its job. And people who are trying to decide whether to go down this same criminal path as a high government official, they will think twice before doing it in a way they won't think twice before doing it if we don't bring any charges at all. One of the last questions for you, Glenn, because we're running out of time. We talk about this each and every week. We're running out of time. There has been, you know, we're, we're seven months up against the wall for midterm elections. The Department of Justice continues to tell us we don't work on a political cycle. We're, 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 they could care less, right, that there is an election that is coming. If we get clobbered, Democrats get clobbered in the way that they say that is going to happen, what happens to any investigation that is taking place right now? What are Republicans, just paint the picture, what are they able to do if, in fact, like, they get power back and there's a midst of an investigation? So they can kill the J6 investigation being conducted by the House Select Committee. And I'm confident they will kill it. Um, they will also try to suppress the results of it, um, which I think is why the J6 committee understands. It's a bipartisan committee with two Republicans. I think it understands 
that it needs to finish its work well in advance of the midterms, issue its report, obviously hold public hearings, which we are told are imminent later this month, maybe early next. So I think that is less of a concern because I think the committee will have wrapped up and announced its findings. But what they can do is they can make DOJ's work extremely difficult. They can't kill criminal investigations being conducted at the Department of Justice because that is still an executive branch agency under the control of President Biden. But they can hold frivolous oversight hearing after oversight hearing. They can carpet bomb the Department of Justice with frivolous congressional subpoenas. And then they will find reasons to claim that the people at DOJ have violated those subpoenas, so they must be locked up using Congress's inherent power of contempt, just as Newt Gingrich promised they would. Not that he's a player, He's a he's a he's a pissant is what he is. But he did make that promise that the J6 committee members will probably find themselves locked up so they can make DOJ's work very difficult. They can mm-hmm. try to defund or reduce the funding to the Department of Justice. They can play all kinds of nefarious reindeer games, but they can't stop criminal investigations. And frankly, it may end up upping the ante for the Department of Justice to make sure it does its work quickly and efficiently. So, but it, it's just not good for the country if the the Republicans take over the House because we know that by their own admission, they have no agenda None. other than retaining power and exploiting it in, in the dirtiest of ways. You know, like that that's what Kevin McCarthy is about. That's what I think these latest phone calls that have been disclosed between he and Liz Cheney which are really remarkable and not just for the purian interest, but on the legal front, I think they're pretty remarkable. I mean, they just, they're criming in broad daylight, broad daylight. Um, and I, I just, you know, I, I know what will happen and their, and their hearings will be on prime time. Their foolish, lying hearings will be on prime time. And I wonder how that will shift the public perception of what the commission is doing. Glenn, as always, thank you so much for making the time to work us through where we are. And I hope that next week, when we discuss again, that there is some movement with this glacial Department of Justice. We need something, some signal, some sign that we are headed in a direction that isn't over a cliff. Fingers crossed. Appreciate you. That is it for me today here on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. 
Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, fam. I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.